What is up? What is up? Brad, welcome to the Brad and Avery Hour, episode number three. Live here at the Grand Billet Casino in the Atlas Steakhouse, upstairs in this beautiful private semi-room. Again, thank you to everybody who's made this possible. This is episode three of many, many to come. We are so excited for your jam-packed show tonight. I'm Brad Barker alongside Avery Lewis McDougal. Avery, what's up, man? How was your long weekend? It was good? It was good, Brad. You know, got some hard work done. You know, no relaxing for your boy. I put some work in, like the rest of you should have been doing. Just kidding. <laughs> I did as well. I moved into a brand new house. Uh, we did some moving. I added some color to my skin. I got some sun. It was all good. Nice. And now we're back to business. And, well, there's a lot to catch up on this week. It was a crazy week in sports. And we're going to start this week, Avery, with some massive, uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't say surprising news. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights beating Canada's only team left, the Winnipeg Jets, to punch their ticket to the Stanley Cup Final. The last team to do that, correct me if my dates are wrong, 1968 St. Louis Blues in their inaugural season. That's correct. That's correct. But the thing, there's one catch though, because when it happened in 67-68, every expansion team was put in one division. So you had to have expansion team in the Cup Final. But in the, in, the, in the usual sense of an expansion team coming in in year one, another expansion team's in, yeah, it's the first time it's happened since 68. It's incredible stuff. And I just got to say this. I got to say this, Brad. Seeing the Golden Knights go in and knock off first LA, first San Jose, and then Winnipeg. How do you like that? How do you like that? How do you like that? woo hoo hoo and you know what, Avery was, uh, you were on the train from day one, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I was right there with you, there was a, yes. a few uh, few members, I think, that doubted some of us. Mm-hmm. You know what, Brian Reeves said it perfect the other night in a post-game interview. He called themselves, and they've been calling themselves this all year long, the Golden Misfits. Yes, they have been. Um, you, let's break it down though for a minute. This is sure some Misfits. But let's start from the top down. George McPhee, mm-hmm. the guy who, he's drafted Alexander Ovechkin. Yeah. He's basically built the Washington Capitals to where they become uh, outside of a, you know, a few changes. You look at Gerard Gallant, successful with the Florida Panthers, outside of, again, they, they firing last season. It, it's a big change for him. He goes mm-hmm. last year from being on the curb, getting into a cab, to bunching his ticket to the Stanley Cup final this year with an expansion team. And let's not forget the man between the pipes, number 29. They call themselves the flower, Marc-Andre Fleury. And he's been the best Marc-Andre Fleury, I think, to date. Even even with the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think this is the best Marc-Andre Fleury we've seen in a long, long time. You know, you'd, you'd be hard to find attractors against that argument, argument Brad. And like watching him at 36 years old, this isn't some spring chicken who got passed over. This is a guy in his mid-30s having a total career revival in Vegas. And with the Vegas Golden Knights, the Golden Misfits, it's just so silly, I think, to see people not on board with this. People saying, oh, these, these expansion draft rules are dumb. It was just rigged for, in favor of Vegas. I don't th- I find that funny because Vegas took the players other teams wanted to take and won. 
What's rigged about that? They made it work. That's your fault that they made this work somehow. And and you know what? I think there's a few teams kicking themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's use a prime example. Uh, Willie Carlson, the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was a fourth to third line guy with the Columbus Blue Jackets. All of a sudden, he's a number one center in Vegas. And he's doing outstanding. Yeah. All, all what needed to happen, Avery, was these kids. And these, uh, not so much even kids. These players needed a chance. Other teams weren't willing to give them chances because they were obviously quote-unquote lower on the pecking order. Maybe, you know, there was experienced guys ahead of them or, or whatever have mm-hmm. you. They've come into a fresh situation, a brand new city, a brand new team. And this is, a lot of guys carried a chip. A lot of guys had something to prove. Willie Carlson being one of them. Mark andre Fleury, of course. Mm-hmm. You, you look at them be passed up uh, for Matt Murray. Yeah. An incredible, incredible story, Avery. And we are now four wins away from seeing history. It is. And the Vegas Golden Knights hoisting the Stanley Cup. And I, I cannot wait for that city to see Stanley Cup final hockey. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if they beat either Tampa or Washington, the parade down the Las Vegas Strip? <laughs> That's going to last for an entire year. It's going to go until next year. And, yeah. Is, let me talk about this for a minute. We look at the Vegas Golden Knights now. Mm-hmm. Everybody calling them crazy. There was a bunch of even analysts on TSN, Sportsnet, and so on down the line, even in the States, that didn't give this team a shot. Right. Didn't give this team a chance. They thought, oh, they drafted the top five. They drafted the top ten. They're going to be a lottery team. Uh, this and that and this and that. All of a sudden, we get to the deadline. They're buying. Yeah. They traded a first, second, and third round pick for Thomas Tatar. People were losing their mind. And now, again, we look at this, and they're four wins away from a cup. Now, moving forward mm-hmm. from this, if they do win a cup, even if they don't, I rate this a highly successful first year. Nobody can ever be mad at winning no. the Western Conference Final. Now, looking ahead from this, is this a team that you feel that could be back in the same position next year? Or do they have some holes to fill in the offseason? I would hope so. But you got to imagine Alec William Carlson will want to try and get a bigger payday. He'll try and test the waters of maybe are being an RFA. But I don't think it, if, I'm, if I'm Gallant, if I'm everybody else, I want to stay. I want to stay intact. I want to try and see how far we can ride this wave in Vegas. I mean, yes, there'll be some guys who will leave. But if I'm McPhee and Gallant, I mean, why would you bring this up? If you're a player in Vegas, you're you're a misfit. You're a golden misfit. You come into a market which has totally embraced you 110%. You are the first of an empire in that city. If I were a player in that team and I was a free agent, someone told me, are you going to leave Vegas? Heck no. I'm staying here. Sign me for a long-term deal. Yeah, I don't get what's wrong about Vegas. It's, it's sunny. It's beautiful. You're in the desert. There's no snow for people to complain about, uh, as we see up here in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect scenario. You look at guys, and we mentioned him before, and I'll mention again, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here for a minute, Marc-Andre Fleury. I believe that's a guy that's going to be there long term. That's a guy they build around. You look at a guy like James Neal, potentially could they build around him, or maybe they want to build around a guy like Will Carlson, a little bit younger, Mm. Maybe maybe he'll take a little bit of a quote unquote discount and stick around and maybe maybe one of those guys, maybe a Willie Carlson or maybe even a Derek England or, or so on and so forth, 
can be named the captain, and they they can lead this team again next year. Possibly. I mean, you mentioned Derek Englund. He's a guy from Edmonton who lives in Vegas. He lived in Vegas before he played for the Golden Knights. He gave a speech after he gave a speech during your home opener. Derek Englund is Edmontonian, but he's also a Las Vegas resident. He's a guy who I think will be the bona fide. I'm saying here long term. I think he'll be the captain going forward because he's personified what it means to be a Las Vegas resident as an Edmontonian. Well, and you got to think, that's a guy that doesn't really put up a lot of points. He's had a career year now in Vegas. He's done very, very well. But again, that's a leader on and off the ice. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's your prime candidate for a captain. I, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. 110%. Now, moving over and looking at the East, Avery, mm-hmm. and we, we talked about this pregame off-air. The Washington Capitals and Tampa Bay Lightning uh, going out against six. We've seen a little bit of panic, a little bit of, I I guess the word is, I well, I guess I did find the word, and that is panic. With the Washington Capitals, they've lost three in a row now. They're down 3-2. Their back's up against the wall. We see them up one nothing in the second intermission here tonight in game six. But what happens with the Capitals if they lose? This fan base, for one, is not going to be happy. And again, I know we talked about this off air, but you gotta think changes are intimate. Intimate now is Barry Trotz the guy? Uh, we we they got a brand new GM. I really don't see him going. I don't think he's really put the stamp on the team he's wanted to. Mm-hmm. Outside of we we talked about George McPhee and so on and so forth. Is is it crazy for? Is it crazy to even think about or exploring? The possibility of Alexander Ovechkin in a new uniform. I don't know. Like after twelve years, I just don't see. I don't see Ovechkin leaving just yet. Maybe it'll happen next year or in a few. Maybe he will want to deal get out of, of, of DC eventually. I don't see it happening though anytime soon. But I don't think you can fire Barry Trotz because right, Barry Trotz. I'm pretty sure I said this on episode one. Barry Trotz is the head coach who got Washington for the first time in twenty years past the second round. And if you and if you turn around and say, "Hey, Barry, go over this hump," you're fired. I'd not be doing him dirty, but yes, you do want to get to a Cup final. But it's an odd situation. It's such an odd spot right now because yes, you've crossed the barrier, but no, it wasn't a Cup final. I think Washington right now stands pat until next year. I think 1819 could be the year in which heads do roll if they say, "Okay, now we want to get past Conference Final." We couldn't do that. Now there may be changes. I mean. If you're a Capitals fan, it's a pretty nice life to be in. Oh no, we couldn't get past the conference finals. What was us compared to us being in Edmonton when you want this team to get back to the playoffs, period? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally, uh, but again, you have one of the arguably the best players in the world yes. in Alexander Ovechkin. The team around him is pretty good as well. Absolutely. They're, it's not like they're lacking. You look at, uh, for example, Edmonton, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. You know, and, and really, it's a not a major drop off. There's a drop off in skill there, but you look in Washington, where you got Ovechkin, you got Backstrom, you got Kuznetsov, uh, you got skilled and veteran defensemen like Matt Neskinen, John Carlson, Brooks Orpik, who pitches in, and now you have a goaltending tandem as you've seen this year in Philip Grubauer and ultimately Braden Holpe. That's his job to basically lose in Washington, but for me. I think it's I think it's different. I don't think they wait till next year. 
I think they make some changes. Now, is it is it drastic changes? Maybe not. Maybe we don't see the big deal of Alexander Ovechkin or, or Brayden Holpe even, but maybe a guy like Backstrom's out the door. Maybe maybe if the deal is right, Evgeny Kuznetsov is out the door. Maybe maybe because Philip Grubauer feels he could thrive somewhere else, he goes somewhere else and thrives and be and tries to be that number one debtminder. Now, I just don't see the Capitals standing pat. It's been far too long. They their their window of opportunity I feel is closing and closing fast. Ovechkin's not getting any younger. Backstrom's not getting any younger. Of course, this team is only getting older. And I just don't see them getting over that hump unless they can make some tweaks. And that's all they need. It doesn't need to be drastic, but it need they need to obviously fine-tune because something isn't working. No, of course, I agree, but you mentioned the window closing. I don't know who really gets past Washington out of that triangle of uh, Pittsburgh or Tampa. I don't think New, New I want New Jersey. It's clear New Jersey isn't ready yet to take that next step. It's clear Toronto isn't yet. And who else? You look at Carolina. No. The what Rangers. A, no. What about the Columbus? The so, Columbus Blue Jackets. I feel are knocking on uh, that door. They give. They got some young talent. You go. Alexander Wenberg. You know, a Willie Carlson's former team. I, mm-hmm. I feel the Columbus Blue Jackets could be, if not ready now, they could be very, very close to being ready. Now, are the Flyers that team? Maybe not. Is Florida ready to compete? Probably not. As you said, there are few, probably fewer competitors than in the West, per se. But I, I still think the window of opportunity, like any team, I believe is three to six-ish years before you know the turnover comes right. and the rebuild, so to speak, right? Right, but yeah, and I believe Washington did have that one year where they didn't miss the playoffs. But I know I think Washington is a team where I do think you'll get Barry Trotz will get one more year, and he will be told by Ted Leonsis, listen, final we made it to East final, great, but I need a Stanley Cup final by next year. I think that's when Ted Leonsis will come out and you know make his massive changes because it's been twenty years, and hey, you know what, the series isn't done yet. They're up on Tampa Bay one nothing now. They could force a game seven if they win game seven. Then our little debate here is all for naught if they do get past Tampa. Now, I want to quickly just flip over to the West and talk about Edmonton. Is that a similar conversation Bob Nicholson and, and the higher-ups had with Peter Shirelli, do you think, with Sam Leonis had, had with, uh, with the Capitals? Prob- I, I would imagine so because I've been on Peter Shirelli ever since he made the trades to, to remove Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle from this organization. And if you're an owner, if you're a Nicholson, if you're a Daryl Cates, this team has to rebound because you are going to alienate Connor McDavid. You're going to alienate Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's been here for way, way, way too many losing seasons, and Leon Dreisaitl. These guys know they can't have the best player in the world. Yes, I consider McDavid to be the best player in the world sitting on an 80-point team I for the next three years. Connor McDavid, for me, absolutely is the best player in the world. Bone on absolutely. Now, I, I agree with you in the sense that Connor McDavid does not deserve this. 
I believe he deserves a lot better fate on this team. Especially, you look it down the line, they are a talented team. Leon Dreisfelder, Ryan Nugent Hopkins can put the puck in the net. Now, what is next for this team? You mentioned changes. I'm going to talk, maybe we'll go over, you know, what I'd like to see, then we'll come to you for a minute. But... You know, you mentioned the name James Neal. Is that a guy the Oilers target? Obviously, Price and Lank need to be right. They're not going to sign him to an eight-year deal at $7 million a year. It's not going to happen. But Lank needs to be right. Now, we we heard the rumbling. Is Justin Falk a fit in Edmonton? Is Rasmus Rolainen a fit in Edmonton? Yeah. There's so many names right now floating around. I don't see and I don't believe Peter Sorelli should touch that trade button unless it's absolutely 100% necessary and 100% going to benefit your team. Now, the Justin Falk move is interesting because I believe that benefits your team. That is a power play defenseman that is a power play specialist that makes, for me, in my eyes, this back end better. Now, the rumbling Pugliarvi and something else could be on the wheel for that. Is Oscar Kletbaum potentially on the move for something bigger and better? I don't know. I mean, is it a package deal in Falk and maybe a, a Jeff Skinner-type player to Edmonton for a Pugliarvi? Something else and Oscar Kleppbaum, is that too much? What do you see? And maybe some names that the Oilers could potentially target here in, in, in the months of June and July uh, until we uh, until we hit October. Huh? And you mentioned Justin Falk. Do you want to add on Justin Falk point? To me, I don't think trading Kleppbaum for Falk is a good move, even with assets, because you're trading away uh, a top defenseman for a top defenseman. You need to combine these guys. You're, it's a neutral trade in my mind. It's a neutral trade. You're not really, but you want to add both guys on this roster. You don't want to lose a top defenseman now, for Justin Falk. Sorry to interrupt. Now, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be better than losing, though? You look at the grades of Hall to, you know, to Lawson. I call that maybe a neutral trade because, obviously, it's an upgrade on their back end. Now, a losing trade, in my mind, was strong for Everly. That was very so. Much so wouldn't it be better than just losing a trade? It would be better, but it would still be... It would still see Piacirelli. You don't, like, that's the thing with Piacirelli. The fact that a neutral trade is seen as a win is not a good thing. That goes to show how poor his trading history has been. And I'm nervous because I don't even, I don't even know if he would be able to do that. I don't know if Shirley would do anything beyond a one-for-one one trade because we've seen time and time again one-for-one, one-for-one, one-for-one. And to me, I don't understand why he's not getting back more for that and giving up so many assets. It's it's baffling. So, I mean, let's maybe not dream a little bit. Let's kind of be real. But who do you see as potential fits, potential targets for Peter Torelli going into this summer that could be realistic possibilities that can suit up maybe even next to Conor McDavid or feeding the puck to 97 come October. I mean, you know, there's a guy who I've liked, I like for a lot of years. I'm not sure his contract is. But Anthony Duclair, I think, would be a great fit in Edmonton. I think I would love to see Edmonton still. I'm not sure what his contract is offhand, but he's a guy who I think would be cool to see as Edmonton Oiler. 
of course, Duclair, of course, Jeff Skinner. Those two guys where Skinner is a guy where we're not sure what Tom, Dun what Tom Dundon's doing in Carolina. He'd be a guy you could get out of Carolina on the cheap. But I think Duclair is a guy who he's bounced around the league quite a bit, going from New York. He's been in Arizona and now Chicago. I think Duclair in that in either the second or third line could be a nice little fit for the Oilers. I agree. I I I agree with you to a point. Now, to me, Jeff Skinner's too small. To me, I think the Oilers. Obviously, we we talked about over the years the Oilers need size. They address that with Cassian. They address that with Maroon. And then obviously Maroon Maroon is gone. Now, is Maroon a possibility that returns? I mean, do the Oilers need him? I, I don't think so. I don't know. Is that number 10 pick in play? Do you see them picking? Do you see them trading? For for me, and, and here, I'll get your opinion on in a minute, but on my take here is that number 10 pick needs to go. It's got to be for an asset. They've drafted high for year after year after year after year. It's time to get assets now. And especially, especially because Peter Shirelli is feeling the heat Peter Schwell is on the hot seat. We both agreed with that. Mm -hmm. I believe if things do not change, this is it for Peter Schwell. This is absolutely it. This is the end of the line in Edmonton. So he needs to make changes. He's got to feel that pressure, feel that heat. So I believe your number one trading ship outside of Club Bomb, outside of the names we mentioned, is that number 10 pick. And to me, that's the one thing you think. With Peter Schwell, when he has a, a draft pick that's not in the top five, Here's the one problem. Remember, when he had number 16 pick a couple of years ago, people were saying, oh, Matthew Barzell Devinton, when he had number 16, what does he do? He trades that and the third, third, third pick away for Griffin Reinhardt. That's the problem is that Peter Shirelli with draft picks, not under the assets, draft picks, is terrible at drafting and handling those. Do you trust him then? Do you trust him to trade number, number 10 pick away and get good value back? Do you trust him to do that, Brad? Well, we look at this, and yeah. obviously, I believe, and what I've heard is, Matthew Barzell was not the guy for Edmonton. It was going to be Joel Erickson, uh, who's now in Minnesota. And, of course, with the 33rd pick, obviously, it could have been Anthony uh, Beaulieu mm -hmm. in, in New York, who's obviously also with the Islanders. they got a good young talent there. They call him uh, the future Oilers, Beaulieu, uh, Barzell, and Eberle. I don't believe Barzell was the guy for the Oilers. Now, did I want him? Absolutely. Was he the guy in Edmonton? Probably not. He would have been either went 17 or 18 anyway. Now, you bring up a good point, though. The, the draft picks haven't worked. Um, you look at the history of Peter Schroen. The second trade really didn't work out. No. The When he when he dealt him to, to Dallas, when he got him, you know, it... it I just, I don't understand certain things, you know, he's supposed to be this brilliant hockey mind, and yet he kind of makes him look, you know, I hate to call him out here for a minute, but it makes him look stupid at points, because you're like, what are you thinking? A five-year-old could have figured out that trade, and here you are trading away Griffin Reinhardt, or, or you know, acquiring Griffin Reinhardt, right. who barely seen time in Edmonton, or Vegas, who, who in my, or, or Vegas, <laughs> in my eyes, in my eyes, was not even a NHL ready defenseman. And no offense to Griffin Reinhardt, no offense to Griffin Reinhardt at all. I just believe he was an NHL defenseman at very best. 
and it's just a boneheaded move on the part of Pete Rose. Yeah, and the thing is, too, in the in the press conference with him and Bob Nicholson, they're talking about how other teams love trading with Peter, and any other franchise would say that and know that's not a good thing. The Oilers basically admitted that we like you think that it's a good thing other teams will trade with them. That's not good. That means that they enjoy fleecing you, and they do it in a big time fashion. Yeah, you can say that's been right for the last, uh, especially the last couple times with Pierce Rowe. Now, I want to move on from the Oilers. Obviously, I don't want to, it's like beating a dead horse guy and Pierce Rowe, what he's going to do. We'll cover more of that as we get closer to the draft. As we get closer to July 1st, we'll make sure we have an exclusive coverage of the Edmonton Oilers. We'll, maybe we'll even go live while we're watching the draft. Who knows? Maybe we'll figure it out. Um, I want to switch and talk about, I want to take us back in time, where we, the, the year we were born, 1993, or the year I was born. I was born that same year, too. 93 yeah. was the last time an NHL Canadian team had won the Stanley Cup, and that was the Montreal Canadian Canadians. Yes. My good friend Luke Robitaille will remember that very, very well that year. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, former Edmonton Oilers, will remember that uh, series very well as well, but what is the reasoning for the the 25-year gap, Avery? Is it Canadian teams aren't good enough? Is it do we dare and I, I this is just speculation, this is me talking, do we dare, somebody asked me the other day, and so I'll bring it up to you, talk about conspiracy. Is the NHL against the Stanley Cup coming north of the border. Uh, you look at the the more revenue they get down south, obviously the better for the league, the more exposure they get. Canada thrives up here with hockey anyway, regardless. You look at Edmonton, we've sold out for the last 20-something years, and they've been a bottom, bottom feeder team. You look at the crowds in Winnipeg over the playoffs. What is the reasoning, or is there anything to do with the 25-year gap? Well, first of all, the idea that the league does not want a cup in Canada is the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that's good. I don't okay. think there's any conspiracy in that because there have been teams from Canada who come so close to doing that. Be it the Quebec Nordiques Deeks 94-95. Be it the 2000s Maple Leafs and the 2000s Ottawa Senators. Be it the Oilers in 06. Be it Ottawa in 07. Be it Vancouver in 2011. If there was a real conspiracy, if there was a real desire to not have these teams in the cup final, then the NHL would just move these teams 25 years ago to the States. There's no conspiracy. But I will say this though. Do the top players, do certain players like playing in the States more? Absolutely. More players like, because remember, there was an era before 05-06. There was no salary cap in the league. And, there was no, and the Canadian dollar was in the toilet. So you had the Detroits, the Rangers, New Jersey's, going out there and spending and making their teams absolute juggernauts. While Edmonton, Calgary, Ottawa, so-and-so struggled to the point in which Ottawa almost went totally bankrupt, Edmonton straight up said back in 04, if there's no lockout, we may fold ourselves. And so did Calgary. So conspiracy knows just the Canadian dollar really played a fact in that. And just bad luck more or less because Ottawa and Toronto both had chances in the conference, in the um, Toronto had a chance in the conference in the second round, couldn't get past Philadelphia, 
and Ottawa had chances in in those three to make the Cup final loss to New Jersey. Of course, those seven they lost Adam in five games, but in fact, their chances. There's no conspiracy. It's just been a combination of just couldn't get it done, bad luck, and of course the Canadian dollar playing effect in this, Brad. No, I I agree with you 110 percent in everything you just said. Now, for me. I believe it's coming. You, you look at the evolution mm-hmm. of the Winnipeg Jets and how far they've come. You look at the Edmonton Oilers, huh? the flash they showed us last year, yeah. and the up and, the up and coming of that. The Toronto Maple Leafs even, although it was short-lived, they showed mm-hmm. signs of promise for Canada. Now, the team's on the downswing, obviously, Montreal, I think, is a while away. Ottawa's a bit away. Those are teams, Vancouver is another one. Those are teams that we've... We're more prominent recently of seeing in the playoffs. Now they're going through that phase of rebuild. We talked about that window earlier. Now, who do you see potentially the next Canadian team to break this drought? For me, and I'm not biased, and this is me taking the complete bias out of everything, but you look at things on paper. For me, it's the Edmonton Oilers. For me, I believe in the next three to four years, I believe the Edmonton Oilers are going to be the next Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. Edmonton's in there for sure, but after watching this season right now, I think Winnipeg has to be in that mix. You saw Winnipeg right now come out. You saw Mark Shifley play well. You saw Patrick Laine come out and do his thing. Kyle Connor, Dustin Bufflin. It wouldn't shock me if Winnipeg actually be that team to win the Cup over Edmonton first in Canada, Brad. Do you not see a rebuild in Winnipeg going on in the next... Or, or not so much a rebuild, and I use that word widely, mm-hmm. but a shakeup in Winnipeg in the next three to five years. They're they're going to have to pay a guy like Patrick Laine. They're going to have to figure out and pay Jacob Truba. What is going to happen with the winner? I, I just don't see it. And a guy like Hellbuck, he's going to demand some big money. So for me, there's some question marks there. No, 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 there certainly are, though. I think in next year, if Paul Maurice and, Cal- and Kevin Shaliev can at least get something working again for next year, I think next year again, if Winnipeg is back here in the conference finals, then hey, if they don't run into Win- the, the Vegas bulldozer again, then they can have a chance. If, to me, if they didn't play Vegas, I think anybody else but Vegas, Winnipeg's in the cup final in my mind this year. Well, yeah, but that Vegas train couldn't be stopped. We, we no. talked about that. We've been there. Uh, Marc-Andre Poirier was just way too good. Uh, now, I want to shift gears, stay in Canada for a minute, but shift sports. Talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Um, me and you both, that's like banging our head off of a wall lately. They've won nine out of their last 25 games. They're on a free fall, a downward spiral. Osuna's in legal trouble. Marcus Stroman can't find his game. Josh Dawes is making errors that he shouldn't be making that a routine plays, being swept in four games by the Oakland Athletics. What is wrong with the Toronto Blue Jays? Honestly, I wish I knew right now, but everything is wrong. Literally everything is wrong with this team. And they were swept for the first time in a four-game series at home for the first time since 2001. Going back to the days of Carlos Delgado, Sean Green, and Shannon Stewart. Those are brain action memories. Those are a long, long time ago. Uh, I believe uh, Cruz was on that team. Jose Cruz Jr., yeah. Jose Cruz Jr. Ron had Mondesi, a, a flash uh, in the pants, yeah. Yeah, no, I, can, I can go on. It's, it's been so old. Ra- 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 
Uh, his son is in AAA. Yeah, it's, it's that long ago. <laughs> and senior's in prison right now. Yeah, but well, we we won't no. touch that topic. <laughs> I mean, that's for a different show, not this one. Uh, Granville could ban us for that. We won't dig into that. But uh, I want to mention a name, and we talked about this. We we just seen the Washington Nationals call up their big uh, phenom and Soto. Congrats to him, by the way, hitting his first major league home run in his first at bat at 19 years old. Absolutely incredible. He also drove in Bryce Harper. That was kind of cool. It's a cool moment for him. But now with this free fall, now we see this team kind of at this point where I don't think they're making the playoffs. This is obviously maybe a rebuild, maybe whatever you want to call it. Right. When do we see the call-up of our own phenom in Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? And the people are screaming, come up right now. I think realistically, if this free fall continues, I think the All-Star break is when you see Vlad Guerrero Jr. making his debut at the Blue Jays. I think by the All-Star break, you see the announcement. He gets called up. Now, personally, I don't want to rush a kid. He's playing double-A ball. He's killing for New Hampshire right now, hitting 415, which is bonkers. But I just don't want to rush a kid. So I think, you know what, if, if you do want to call him up, let him get some more at-bats in double-A and went to the All-Star break to bring him up. Bobachette, the same thing you think, or, or do, do you think let so, him yeah. stew? I think if you want, uh, let these kids let these kids enjoy the journey. Let these kids enjoy the journey of minor league baseball, double A. Let, let them enjoy this. Don't rush them into this right now. Because if you think it's a lost, like if you think it's a lost year, let them enjoy. It. Let them. Just, I think just let them enjoy this journey right now. Do not force issue on these kids. Now staying here, um, what happens with Donaldson? What happens with Marcus Stroman? What happens with Russell Martin? What happens with Kevin Pillar? Are these guys done as Toronto Blue Jays at the end of the year? I think Russell Martin is not. I don't think Marcus is either. I think Marcus is a guy where, dare I say it, he does get sent down to the minor leagues. This is a guy where, you know, we're thinking start of the year, ah, oh, here we go, Stroh show's ready, but it wouldn't shock me if you do see Marcus Stroman in Buffalo this year because his mark is just, his ERA is under 10. Like, the fact that I'm saying it's under 10 at least, whoo, thank goodness, it's not a good thing. But it's not a good year for Marcus. I think Pilar, he's iffy. I think Donaldson, you might see get traded. But I think Martin and Stroman are still here. But this is not a good thing for the Blue Jays. This cannot be good for the Jays seeing Josh Donaldson play the way he's playing. Because if you were to trade a guy like JD, Mm -hmm. and obviously I believe you need to. I don't think that's a guy you let walk. I I think you need to stock those covers because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is coming. That's his replacement. Of course, we know that. It's I believe it's written in stone. It's done. At right now, I believe Donaldson's value is very low. What do you get for a guy like JD? What What is the ask? Is it a pitching prospect? Is it a boatload of prospects? Is it a roster player? If you're Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, what is your what is your home right now for JD? I guess right now, just a boatload of prospects. I know you're hearing last year the Cardinals were interested in Dalton. So I think maybe you want to try and circle back with them and see if they're still interested in St. Louis. But I think it is a boatload of prospects and try and restart those cupboards you're mentioning to try and get back guys who will be a part of this ball club in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Yeah, it's. I, I, I don't know. I, as you can see, I'm lost for words here. 
Russ Atkins and, and Mark Shapiro have their work cut out for them. Yeah, they no. got they got some work to do. This Jays team is nowhere near where they need to be. And if, Mar- if Marcus Stroman wants to be the ace of the staff, he needs to uh, change some things. Something needs to change. Something needs to happen. Uh, we look at Jay Happ. We look at Marcus Stroman. This whole rotation really has been good. I mean, Jaime Garcia has been somewhat of a pleasant surprise in Toronto. And I want to touch briefly, I don't want to get into things, but briefly on Roberto Osuna, we mentioned his legal troubles. What happens with Roberto Osuna from here on out? If you're the Toronto, because this is the MLB mm-hmm. putting a hold on him, and I believe from what I was reading today, they will put a hold on him until his hearing or until something happens before or until June 18th. So for him, that, that's a lot of baseball being missed. He yeah. is being paid for that, which is, I mean, good for him. That's great. But obviously, as we heard the news, we heard his, his story, we heard what happened. Things aren't pretty right now. Something no. is, is going on with Roberto that I don't think we want to touch, I don't think we want to see. What do the Jays do? I mean, is this where, do you bring him into your office, do you sit him down, kind of shake him up? As we got to remember, this is a young kid. Yeah. This is a, a bright future to your team, potentially. Do you say, look... Mistakes happen, you're young, let's put this behind us, let's forget about it, and let's move on, kind of, you know, get ready for next year, so to speak, let's start a fresh year, or do you try and trade the guy? Right now, this is a serious legal matter, I don't want to say things for credit myself, because I don't know enough about law to truly have a true status, like, for Roberto, his time, playing baseball the rest of the year, should be done, shouldn't play another game the rest of the season. If you're the Blue Jays, you go talk to him? Absolutely. Talk to him. But also, this is a legal matter. There's another person involved in this. There's a young woman who, from what we know, was assaulted by Roberto. She should be number one in priority in this situation. Her welfare and what we're going with her right now. But I think Roberto for the rest of the year right now, the Jays shouldn't even be considering bringing him back. And quite frankly, should they bring him back next year? Well... I don't know. I, will, I guess we'll figure it out as more details come out in this. But I think for, us, for this year at least, Roberto's time as a Blue Jay for right now should be over until, well, to be determined as we go on. Well, and, and like I said, we wish him the best of luck uh, moving forward, finding you know peace in whatever he needs to find. Of course, the woman to uh, find peace and solidarity to move forward from this matter. You never want to see that happen to to anybody. Um, so, so we wish all the best. Evolved and now let's move over to football mm-hmm. and talk about the guy uh, Johnny Football. He was the biggest thing in the NFL. Everybody was talking about him. The Cleveland Browns said, "Hey, we'll take it 22 overall." Well, now it worked out so well. He's here in the CFL <laughs> with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and Caleros had some. Uh, colorful things to say about Johnny Football uh, this morning. What do you gather of this whole... For me, it's a circus. For me, it's an absolute joke. Johnny Manziel should play in the Spring League, go find a job, but you're just coming here for... Sure, it's going to put butts in seats. Hell, it's even going to sell season tickets to Hamilton. I guess it's going to be great for Hamilton, great for the CFL, great for you know everybody involved, but why? For me, this is a major distraction, a major mistake. 
I think he's going to be a bust. I don't think he's going to succeed. I hope he makes me my words. I hope he becomes successful because then eventually from that, he finds his way onto an NFL team potentially. I don't know. From what I've been told, it's a two-year deal. Yes, it is. So he'll be in Hamilton for two years. Uh, what are your thoughts on this entire thing? You know what, at first, I wasn't really a fan of it because there was the demand to try and get him starter money when he hasn't, he hasn't thrown a football in three years. But from what he said, from what he's done, he said all the right things. He's coming humble. He wants to learn in Hamilton. And you know what? Will he be and should be a starter? Of course, because he won't want to stay in the CFL forever as a backup quarterback behind Jeremiah Masoli in Hamilton. There's going to be a, a day of uh, there's going to be a day where it'll ha- the Ticats will have to pick between Jeremiah Masoli or Joey Manziel to be a starter. It's going to happen. But you know what? If he wants, to, if he comes out hungry, if he comes in wanting to learn, because Johnny knows that the CFL and NFL are two different things: a bigger field, a shorter play clock, extra an extra defender. You got to be so aware of what goes on in the CFL that it's like it's lightning speed. Yes, he can make he can make plays happen. Like Johnny Manziel is a guy we've seen him in college ball, and he can turn broken plays into massive gains. In the CFL, it'll be a little bit tougher for him, but I think if he keeps humble right now, right now if he keeps up the attitude of being humble and hungry, I think he make it work. Will it take a lot of work to get ready for the CFL? Dang right it will. But if he goes in and just grinds in Hamilton, he may shock some people, yourself included, Brad. Do you think he becomes a starter? Do you see Johnny as a, a starter right away in Hamilton? Do they do they throw him into the fire? Do they give him, you know, two or three weeks to work under Jeremiah Masoli, who's himself trying to come in and, and prove himself as well? He's got a lot to to work with, and, and he's got a lot of pressure on himself. We know, I believe, that he is the number one guy in Hamilton for now, um, but he's got... That's a guy that needs to look over his shoulder because he's got Johnny Manziel knocking. Of course, but if the Ticats come out, if, if the Jeremiah Masoli-led Ticats come out and they're 5-1, and one, then I think there's no chance that you, you, you won't see Johnny Manziel. If they come out and they're 5-1, and one, then you may look to Hamilton. You may see the Ticats trade him, possibly. But if the if, if Masoli struggles and they're 1-5, then yes, you might see Joey Football come in as the new savior and they bench Masoli or trade Masoli. But I think if Hamilton comes out under Masoli in their first Eastern Division, well then, you won't see Johnny on the field very much in his first year. Now, do you think this is legit, or is this a, a money grab for the CFL? You look at Tim Tebow going into MLB and all that whole situation and, and disaster there. What, what do you make of this whole Manziel to the CFL? Or is this, for him, a redemption to, or, and a stepping stone to get to the NFL. To me, it's a mix of both. The Ticats know that, I mean, for open, the first day of practice, the Ticats had 200 people, 200 fans watching open practice. I guarantee you they probably only had beforehand they did that, maybe 20, 30 fans. You have a name now in Hamilton for Tim Hortons Field. And I guarantee you, the Ticats' first home game, the Ticats will be in Edmonton in week two. You're going to get some more fans wanting to see if Manziel plays against the Eskimos. Heck, I'm in the press box. I might see an NFL Network reporter. I might see guys from ESPN or SI in the press box Commonwealth. He's going to attract mainstream American media eyes, and he's going to put some butts in seats like you said. And you know what? More attention to CFL. If he balls out, that's good. If he goes out and whatever, Masoli struggles in week one, 
And Manziel comes out and in week two against Edmonton goes 30 for 39, 300 yards passing, and two TDs. And that's positive attention to the CFL. But you know what? Okay, I'm down for it. I don't know. Like, what happens when he runs into a red-hot defense and gets lit up? I mean, well, that'll be a part yeah. of the learning curve. Like, that'll be a part of it. Like, if every quarterback has to learn, every quarterback who come from America, they've had times of, like, oh, they've all struggled to an extent. Warren Moon had to sit behind Tom Wilkinson to an extent in 1978. And even Jeff Garcia had to sit behind other quarterbacks, so on and so forth. Some guys struggle, but if he can work through that, if he can work through getting creamed by the Argonauts or by BC to bow back and win a game against Winnipeg, you know what? Hey, it's all part of your journey. I'm not, I'm not expecting Mandela to come out and come out every... I'm not expecting him to come out and be lights every single week. I'm really not because it's, it may as well be a different sport. Check that. It is a different sport. It's a different form of gridiron football. He has to learn in a matter of weeks. He's going to struggle, yes, but if he comes out and figures it out in a f- by mid-season, well, you know what, hey, more more fire to the redemption story of Johnny Manziel. I'll tell you, this year in Hamilton, though, he'll have the highest grossing jersey sales in all of Ticats, and my God, if he leads this team to a great cup here in Edmonton, Hamilton's going to blow up. He's going to be the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Hamilton. Johnny Manziel's going to be the new king we have a king here at the Grand Oak Casino, but he's going to be the new king of the CFL, uh, Mr. Johnny Manziel. Now, I want to ask you about this two-year thing. Mm. It's a two-year deal. It's a two-year deal. It's a two-year deal. For Johnny Manziel, do you see, uh, oh, is this a one-off? Is this a, if he comes out, if he, if he does play week one, let's say he plays week one, week two, and has a great year, is this a one-off and he lands in the NFL? Is this a two is this a full two-year deal so we can learn, so we can grow, and then go to the NFL? Do you see him back in the NFL, or is this it for Johnny Manziel, the CFL, and you're done? I see him back possibly, but the CFL, there are no one-year deals in the CFL. They, the, C, the CFL blocked one-year deals. You have to you have to assign a two-year deal. They blocked that window to leave after an option year. So, yes, he will be back here for a second year. He has to be here for two years. But I'm ex- I, w- I do want to see how he grows in year two because if you give him a full year in Canadian football, year two, you could. I'm not saying you, I don't think you'll get it. Maybe you do get a modern-day Doug Flutie or Jeff Garcia. It'll be interesting to see. It really will be. And, hey, and, what, and the big thing, too, is that with Manziel is his conduct. Can he, cle- can he keep his nose clean in Hamilton? Because we know he has, he's had issues. He's had a DUI issue. He's had issues with domestic violence. Now, I'm not advocating him. I'm not, I'm not cheering for him. I'm being neutral. From a football standpoint as a player, yes, it'll be great to see him playing and playing well here. But I, ho- I hope as a person, I hope those demons have been overcome. And hope in Hamilton his nose is clean. Because to me, if he comes out here and if, he's ba- if he falls back into the party board ways, then if you're June Jones and company, eh-eh, sorry, not having that. Sorry to offend anybody else. Is there any even any place that he bought a party in Hamilton? I'm not sure oh, about that. Of course. You can find a place to get in trouble in any city in this continent. Hamilton, I don't care. Hamilton, I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care if you're in Hamilton, Edmonton, Portland, Maine, Seattle, Billings, Montana. You can get in trouble anywhere. And if Johnny can control that, because he really has to, he cannot have any more slip-ups from a legal standpoint. 
he's got to show people that I want to change. I have to because right now he is on his last strike in that aspect. But I mean, we we looked at we've seen this experiment before. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Vince Vince Young in Saskatchewan, yeah. Trent Richardson in Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. Those didn't work out so well. So for me, track record and history proves Johnny Manziel is not gonna not gonna succeed. But hey, if this guy's determined enough, if this guy's got uh, comes in with a fire. Comes in with something to prove. Well, well he should. He should yeah, have something to prove. Of course. Uh, and this guy could be a, a different beast and something good for the CFL. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Again, I hope he makes me my words. I hope he's successful. I wish him and Hamilton nothing but the best. Hopefully, maybe he leads into the Great Cup. Who knows? Well, we'll see. Uh, we don't know, but we'll find out. And you know what? You see, you mentioned Zach Caleros having harsh words for Manziel and Mike Riley. Also commentated, uh, because I thought you asked about John Johnny Manziel. And Mike basically said, you know, we agreed players before and after Johnny Manziel. It was basically, it was, you know, it was more of a comment of, you know, yes, he's a great player. Yes, he's coming in humble. But we shouldn't be bowing down to Manziel coming into the league. The league is much more than the Johnny Manziel saga. And he's correct on both aspects of that. Yeah, coming in humble, great. But Johnny Manziel is not the CFL. There's so many more storylines to this league than one guy coming in who hasn't thrown a ball in an organized game since 2015. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and and I agree with Mike Riley. You know, we we shouldn't bow down. This isn't God. This isn't Jesus. I mean, you you, you look at these guys, you know, that are established in the CFL. Mm -hmm. Mike Riley being one of them. How did they? How do you think that those guys feel? Those guys have an extra fire mm -hmm. now to to ignite and to move forward and to be better because. All eyes on Johnny, and especially on the East Coast and in Hamilton, especially for the first year. So Mike Riley and then the Eskimos and everybody else and Zach Kowalos is going to have something to prove on their own as well. Absolutely, they really will be. You know, I went to Eskimos camp um, this morning here, and in Eskimos, that's a team where Edmonton's a team where, yes, they've had a few losses. Yes, they've had a few retirements. They've had Laquan Bowers retire in the offensive line. They lost Brandon Zilstra to the Minnesota Vikings at receiver. But the Eskimos are such a rich team. They're such a, a depth-rich team. A receiver, they still have Shaq Williams, Darrell Walker, Bryant Mitchell. Edmonton, offensively, will still be a scary team. Even though they did lose, even though they did cut John White at running back and they're going all in on C.J. Gable, which I meant was a bit odd because last year, even though Edmonton was... It was comical last year with the Eskimos, with their injuries, how they were losing... First string guys, second string guys, third string guys, and they were still winning. I went to the game in Ottawa last year. I covered the game in uh, TD Place last year. It was literally Mike Riley and the fourth stringers going out and winning on the road. Moved to 7 0. It was incredible. Just showed that depth in the Eskimos was beyond nuts. The fact that this team was undefeated in the first seven games with literally third and fourth string guys playing and starting. I'm okay going all the way down to C.J. Gable. I, I've been a C.J. Gable fan since he broke into the league. I think he's proved himself. I think he's ready. And that's Mike Riley's guy. I think him and Mike Riley are going to make a great one-two punch in the backfield. Riley handing him the ball. And, of course, uh, with with Brandon Zilstra now, quote-unquote, and Darrell Walker being those guys in now receiving in Edmonton, I, I think they're going to be okay. I think the Edmonton Eskimos are going to come out and they're going to come out strong. It'll be really good to see it. Of course, the Eskimos there defensively. This is probably the most Canadian rich team I've seen in a long time defensively at cornerback and linebacker. You have 
Adam Konar back and healthy again. You have uh, Arjun Colhorn still there at cornerback. And you, you, know he's not, you know he's not a Canadian. It's at linebacker, the American, J.C. Sherritt, comes back after tearing his Achilles tendon. The Sherritt's back, yes. Watching J.C. play in camp, J.C. looks good. J.C. looks like he's ready again. And J.C. Sherritt, when he's healthy and ready again, the man... The tackling machine, the man is a nightmare to quarterbacks, and the man can be a ball hawk. J.C. Sher, he's, he's the kind of guy where I just, I love seeing him play at Edmonton, but you wish the stigma wasn't there in the NFL about a guy his size playing linebacker. He is the definition of beast mode. He goes all out. He plays hard every play, every snap. He's incredible, and it, it was unfortunate he got hurt last year. Uh, hopefully he's back healthy, ready to roll this year. And I, I look forward to a, especially a healthy uh, Jay-Z Sheard. It's going to be incredible to watch. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you think they're going to have some issues with the holes to fill with Odell Willis and um, go on down the list? they, they got to fill a uh, couple holes to fill in that de- defensive side. There will. There will be a little bit of – there will be a few holes. But you know one thing, Odell, you know, it is better to trade a guy too soon then trade a guy too late. And I, that was what Brock Sunderland did, trading away Odell Willis and, of course, trading away Darius Bowman to Winnipeg because mm-hmm. that's the big thing, you know. Of course, Odell had good moments, but you can tell Odell was slowing down to an extent. And, hey, you know what? I wish Odell all the best in BC because the BC Lions are going to be a team where uh, they're going to perk up some eyebrows because you know Ed Hervey would love <laughs> to see the BC Lions go into Commonwealth Stadium, win a great cup, just to stick it to his old club. You know that would bring a smile to his face getting the win in Edmonton in November. I agree with you. Wouldn't that be something sweet, especially with the great cup here in Edmonton? As you mentioned, Ed Hervey and the BC Lions punch our ticket instead of the Edmonton Eskimos. Wouldn't that be something? I guess we'll wait and see. Kickoff is only right around the corner, Avery. You'll be, you'll be there coming training camp. Yes, I'm sure I'll be there as well. Uh, tagging along with Avery as part of the show. Um, we're hoping to have some guests on as well coming very, very exactly. soon. As we wrap up, Avery, uh, some very... I want to make a couple announcements for the next couple of weeks. Go ahead. We are, are in the works, in the talks. Uh, Jason Strudwick and Jason Greger of TSN 1260 will be here to join us in, in the next week or two. And a, a good uh, personal friend of ours. And obviously... A very, very close friend of mine for many years. He's also my co-host on Broadcast Sports. Mr. Vic Michaels himself will be here in studio next week to talk wrestling. Uh, maybe we'll throw in some hockey in there for him and, and some other stuff. It's going to be a great, great show. It's going to be a great couple weeks ahead. Thank you all so, so much for three weeks of great success. Again, thank you to Grand Villa Casino. Thank you to Atlas. Shaq, Raymo, Dave, all the guys that made this possible in this beautiful studio. And as always, for Avery Lewis McDougal, I'm Brad Barco. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you here. Same time, same place, next Monday night. Until then, good night. Later.